I'm excited about today. I think we've had a really content-rich last couple of months here in church. As Matt was talking about last week, I don't know, for those who weren't here last week, Matt, Matt preached a message on hunger and seeking and thirsting after righteousness. And he preached out of Matthew chapter 5 and really great message, really challenging message. And he brought up a, a pretty fair point where he was asking the question of us, do you remember what was preached two weeks ago? Do you remember what was preached three weeks ago? Do we remember the topic four weeks ago, five weeks ago, so on and so forth? And it, it really it really struck something in my heart, in my mind, and, it, and it's been something that I've been thinking about this week. We, we've just finished a couple of weeks back this, this People of Purpose series, and you know, there's so many people we've studied in it, and it's been so great. However, we so often can uh, move... You know, we, we hear a great message on a Sunday morning and we're like, yes, God, you spoke. God, we're listening. God, we're doing something about it. And then, the net, and then you know, by Wednesday, it's in, in the back of our minds and the last thing we're thinking about. And then we roll into the next Sunday and it's like, yes, God, you're here, you're moving, you're speaking, we're listening, we're doing. Wednesday comes around and we're forgetting and, and, the, and then it's this, this, this process, this cycle that's going on and on and on. And... um. So I loved, I loved what Matt shared. It was, it was really confronting to, to, you know, to actually think about, you know, what we're, what we're searching for, what we're listening to, what we're uh, dwelling upon and what we're actually receiving and, and not just taking in the immediate week after the sermon, but what we're taking into our lives, you know, the months after, the years after. What are we, what are we actually doing with what, what we're hearing? And uh, so today I, I'm going to be preaching out of two short stories to two different places. So if you want to turn to John chapter 5, and you can put a finger in there. And if you want to turn to Acts chapter 3, and you can put a finger in there as well. I use this really cute picture of Lisa as my secondary bookmark. It's a picture of her sticking her tongue and licking my ear while we're at the Eiffel Tower. It's really pretty, just so you know. (laughs) Anyways, so... Acts chapter 3 and John chapter 5, place your fingers in both of those. But before I get into that, I want to talk to you guys about some terms and conditions. (laughs) The T's and C's. (laughs) You accept? That's actually funny that you say that, Oz, because um, I was thinking about this this week because I updated my computer and every time you update your computer, it reads out a whole bunch of new terms and conditions that apply to the update that you've just put on your computer. And who here reads all of the terms and conditions? Sometimes. All the time? Sometimes? Most of the time? Working in telco, Working in telco yeah, you kind of have to read the terms and conditions. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I, I expected that to be the response. You know, I think terms and conditions are a, a funny thing. They're, they're something that it's the parameters, it's the, the guidelines, it's the explanations, it's the things, it's like almost the safety net for something that could possibly go wrong or something that you might have to do or, you know, there, there's often explanations in terms of conditions. And I caught myself uh, going, scrolling, because, you know, I had to scroll all the way down to the bottom of the terms and conditions to tick a box to then be able to tick the word agree really annoying. And I, but I found myself in that moment, like, oh, I'm scrolling past all these things and I'm just not paying a si- like single thought to what it is because I'm, I'm so used to just skipping the terms and conditions. So used to stipping, skipping the terms and conditions. 
And it, it, it got me thinking, you know, because I, I'm the kind of guy when I, when, when I think about something in the world, I always find myself drifting off into like, where does, how does that apply with us and God? You know, and, and it got me thinking like, man, do we, do we have terms and conditions with God? And do we have terms and conditions with God? Like, I was like, okay, God, like, you know, what are, what are the, the believer's terms and conditions? And then I was like, okay, well then, you know, they would probably be the commandments that, you know, uh, they're in the Bible. You know, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. Jesus told that to his disciples. So I would say that those, those might be our, like, believer's terms and conditions. It, it got me thinking as well. Uh, like, I, as I said, I, I find when I, when I start thinking about something, I always like to think about, okay, where is it in the Bible? How does it apply? How did it apply back then? How does it apply to us now? And, and I got thinking about like, you know, what are terms and conditions that culture dictate, culture around, the culture around us dictates to us right now? And I was thinking, you know, like there, there are so many things in the world right now, whether they're spoken, unspoken, known or unknown, that are things that we live our lives by, even though we don't really know we're living our lives by them. You know, for example, I think like technology and access to social media it, and the, the use of social media that has become so like in our lives, in every part of our lives, you will find technology, you'll find smartphones, you'll find social media. And I got me thinking like, you know, like it, back when I was a kid, which was ages ago, like <laughs> way back when I was a child, all like, you know, 10 years ago or so, I, um, technology wasn't a part of my life. Apart from the PlayStation that I would occasionally play, which was only in the room with me and not connected externally to everyone else in the world. Uh, and apart from the TV that I had, and maybe apart from the, the old desktop computer we had that was connected occasionally to the dial-up so that I could go and mini-clip and play some games. Like, that was, the techno- that was the beginning of the end of technology for me 10 years ago. But now, there, there are so many little things within technology, you know... I, even something as simple as like, this is a statement that I, that I once had a conversation which turned into a little bit of a discussion with a friend where, you know, it, it's almost like a relationship that you're in isn't actually a relationship unless it's a Facebook official. Like, have you ever thought about the fact that we, like, and this was something that I heard a lot growing up in school was, you know, oh, your relationship's not official. You're not officially boyfriend and girlfriend until it's Facebook official. That's a, that's a term and condition that we have somehow, somehow it's been a part, become a part of the culture that we live in. And, um, you know, there, there are so many, so many more things that just, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not bad, they're not m- super obvious, but they're often things that can just dictate our lives. And, and after time, you know, it becomes so normal. So for, for Lisa and I, we, get enga- we got engaged about six weeks ago, five weeks ago now. And, you know, so we, we tell our immediate family and friends, like we message them, we call them and we tell them they're engaged. However, like the, the way that we announce our engagement is by making it Facebook official. And that's how everyone else finds out, you know? And, but what would have happened 10, 15 years ago if someone got engaged? You know, w- what would they have done? Like you, you would hear by word of mouth, you would hear by seeing them, you would hear by, you, by knowing them by MySpace. Yeah, MySpace, which existed. Uh, let's let's oh even the newspaper yeah, the church newsletter. The church newsletter. There there were so many 
there are so many things that we, we just pick up as we are a part of culture and as we are a part of society. And so, if you want to turn to John chapter 5, I want to talk to you about a guy who, who's been affected by the terms and conditions of his time. He's been affected by the, the things that you should do, you know, the, the processes, the ways, the culture of the time and the place where he lives. And so if we see here in chapter 5, in verse 1, um, just to give you a bit of context before I read, um, this is the story of how Jesus heals a man at the pool Bethesda. Um, Jesus has just, um, he's just obviously began his ministry and they're in the city of Jerusalem. And so in verse 1 it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, an other steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. I'm just going to stop it there. Now, you're probably thinking, Nathan, where are, the, where are the terms and conditions in this passage? Where does it show a man who, who is uh, living by the process and the cycle and the thing that the, the culture and the time and, and the people around him had created? But to me, it's quite obvious. You see, here is a man who is sick, he's lame, and he is waiting at a pool where other people who are blind, sick, and lame are waiting. They're waiting for an angel. What's interesting about this is actually a little bit of a side note, bit of historical context, because I like a bit of history. This pool was actually attached to a temple, and so it wasn't an angel of the Lord. Basically, it wasn't an angel of the Lord that would come down and touch the water. It was... um. Oh, I'm butchering this. It's on my laptop. Anyways, go, go look it up. It's quite interesting. It was, a, it was attached to a temple and it was for the mik, mikvah, which was, so there, was two, there were two baths in this temple and, and one was for the cleansing of the Jews and the other was an area where they could enter the water and become purified. And so it, it was a really interesting thing that I was reading at 6am this morning. Anyways back to the story. This man is living and his life is being run by the terms and conditions of his time. You see, because he's a sick man, so because he is a sick man, because he is paralyzed, he he is sitting by the pool waiting for the angel to touch the water, waiting for the water to be stirred so that maybe someone could come and take him down to the water. And he could be the first one to touch the water and then he could receive the healing. 
He is stuck in that position. I find it so confronting. I find it so borderline offensive when Jesus meets this man. And I love that it says here, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. And he still said to him, do you want to be made well? I think when I read this story, I I almost imagine Jesus being to this man, like in a sarcastic tone, hey mate, come on, like, do you want to be made well? But that isn't, like sarcasm isn't a part of God's language. So that isn't what Jesus is saying. And so often I've read this in the past thinking like, oh, Jesus is trying to make a joke here and say like, oh, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? But he's not. He's actually asking a question that I believe was an intervention in that man's life. You see, because this man has been there, he has been lame for 38 years. He has been part of this cycle. He's been in this condition and Jesus comes to him and he asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? See, I, I think Jesus in that moment is actually wanting to confront the cycle that that man is in. And I believe that because the man replies to him, and, and, and this is the funny thing, the man doesn't say, yes, I want to be made well. The man doesn't say, yes, God, heal me, heal me, I want to be made well. He replies to Jesus' question, saying, sir, I have no man to put me into a pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. He doesn't answer yes. He's been, think about this, if you, if you were paralyzed and you'd been paralyzed for 38 years, you'd been lame, unable to walk for 38 years, and someone asked you a question, do you want to be made well? What would you answer? would you answer Jesus's question by, by stating what this man said? You do, you do, exactly. You see, I, 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 I would instantly think like, of course, I want to be made well. Like, why wouldn't I reply yes? But Oz is exactly right. You see, I think we, after time and time and time, you know, the longer time goes on, the more we begin to tolerate things. You know, oh, the, the, the longer time goes on, the more we begin to accept the things that maybe you know, like, aren't the way they're meant to be. But just, it's, oh, I don't know if I want to face that disappointment again. So I'm just going to, like, let it stay there. Oh, you know, like, I'm just going to lower my level of hope and I'm just going to let it stay there. Oh, I'm just going to, you know what, I believe but maybe it's not for me. I'm just going to let it stay there. And, and this man has had 38 years of waiting for someone. You know, I, I can't imagine how many times he would have begged for someone to come and to pick him up, to take him to the pool. Can you imagine how many times that probably happened? Can you imagine how many times, how many years, you know, we don't know how often that angel touched the water. Maybe the angel only touched the water once a year. So maybe this man, year after year, would wait all year. This is my year. This is my year. This is my year to be picked up by his friend. This is my year. This is my... Oh, wait, someone's in the water. Someone's in the water. Isn't it interesting that as time goes on, 
We, we settle and we tolerate. We, we, we let go of, and it, and it only can be partially, but we, we often can let go of, of what, we know, what we know it should be and, and settle for a little bit less. Settle for a little bit less. So Jesus here, I, I believe that he, as he says the question to this man, do you want to be made well? He, he's not saying it, asking a rhetorical question. I think he's actually saying it and wanting to reignite hope in this man's heart. I think he's saying it and he's wanting to reignite faith in this man's heart. But it's not faith in going in the water. Because after this man says to the Lord, oh, you know, every year, or sorry, not every year. So I have no man to put me in the water. That's a man's reply. Jesus doesn't say to him like, well, well then go down and touch the water now like you'll be made well. Jesus meets him in that moment and he is his solution. You see, Jesus doesn't give him a term, a condition, a process, a cycle. Jesus gives him an answer. Jesus gives him a solution. But he doesn't want to just give him a solution without the man knowing about it, without the man understanding about it. You see, because the Lord doesn't, like the Lord cares about his healing but the Lord cares about his heart. He cares about his soul. He cares about his well-being. He cares about his life just as much as he cares about his healing. And so he confronts the man. He calls him to the core of who he is. He calls faith and hope to arise in him as well as healing. Interesting stuff. Turn to Acts chapter 4. You can keep your finger in John 5. Sorry, not Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 3. Peter heals the lame man. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain lame man from his mother's womb, (laughs) from his mother's womb, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms, for those, from those who entered the temple. Can you already start to see a link here between the two stories? The man who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for arms and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So he, leaping up, stood, walked, entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. Do you guys see the similarities in these two stories? You see, for this, this man has been lame since he entered the world from his mother's womb. And they carried him daily to the temple, where, where daily he would ask for alms, he would ask for money because he is poor and he is lame and he's not able to work. And Peter, 
being led by the Spirit, because at this point he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's being led by the Spirit. He says to him, look at us. Now, that is an insignificant statement in our time, but in their time, it's very significant. In the Jewish culture at that point in time, this statement is extremely significant. Because, you know, even now, when you go to the city and you, and you see a homeless person or you see someone on the street, how, how often do you find that they want to look you in the eyes? Because there's shame, because they feel guilty, because they feel bad about who they are. And it was even worse back then. You see, because people who were lame, people who were sick, they were the outcasts of society. Society believed that people who were sick and lame were people who had been um, shunned upon by God because they must have done something wrong. And so therefore they're dirty, therefore they're unclean, therefore they don't belong in society, they are outcasts. And Peter fixed his eyes on the man. He didn't just throw down some cash and keep walking. He stopped, he fixed his eyes on him and he commanded the man out of his position and told him to look at him. John 5, Jesus goes to a person and he says, do you want to be made well? Not for the sake of asking him a question about his healing, but for the sake of commanding his attention, for drawing him back to his heart. Peter says to the man, look at us. I love how it says in verse 5 that this is the man. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Do you think he was expecting Peter to say what he said? No. I think he was expecting Peter to be like, mate, feel sorry for you. Here's five bucks. Go buy yourself some Maccas. That's what I would expect. But Peter says to him, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, I say, rise, get up, walk, be healed. Do you see how in both of these stories, the man who was paralyzed for 38 years and the man who has been lame since birth, they, they have a term, they have a condition, they have something that dictates their life. And it's not good at all. It's really not good. But it, it's something, as I was saying just when I was back over here, it's something that they've, as Oz said, it's something that they've learned to accept. Maybe it's because God doesn't love them as much as the next person. Maybe it's because, you know, maybe it's because like they did something wrong when they were five years old and so that's why they're there. Maybe it's because like, oh, I'm not worthy enough. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe because it's that. Maybe it's because I made that decision last week and it was a bad decision. That's why I'm not going to get healed. That's why I'm like this. That's why I'm like this. Terms and conditions. Everything now has to have terms and conditions. There should be a term and condition about this stand. There probably is. There probably is a term and condition about this stand. Someone ticked the box and didn't actually pay attention to the product. What parts of culture have we taken as our own that maybe we weren't to take as our own? What parts, what terms and conditions of life, you know, like, oh, I have to, yeah, I'll use this as an example. This is a classic one. You know, there, there's such this, everyone knows what tall poppy syndrome is, eh? And it's, for me, for me personally, I, I have a righteous, um, strong dislike against tall poppy syndrome, to put it lightly. And it's, it's such a part of Australian culture, like such a part of Australian culture. You know, it's, it's something, 
that like everyone kind of knows about and everyone's willing to chop their friends down and everyone's willing to chop themselves down even like and, and everyone just settles to be that happy medium and I don't like it personally but you know it's it's something that I've even adopted in my own life at times it's the Dan's laughing because it's true like to, like you know what things that are external worldly things what terms and conditions what guidelines what are we listening to? What are we actually allowing to come into our lives that maybe shouldn't be in our lives? See, because I believe that in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as tall poppy syndrome, like at all. I don't think it's kingdom. So why is it in our church? Why is it in the church down the street? Tell me where you find it in the Bible. What terms and conditions do we live our lives by? Whether we know it, whether we don't know it, what are the things that are the, the subconscious things that are running our lives? Maybe we're like the lame and the paralytic man. Maybe we're that person who maybe we've spent the last 10 years believing something and, and, and living our lives with a belief because there's something that we have that we, we know we're not meant to have. It's like what Kel was sharing this morning. Um, just while we were singing the song Waymaker. Maybe there's things that are in our hearts. Maybe there's something that's been said. Maybe there's an experience that we've had, which has just wedged itself in our lives. And maybe it's not meant to be there. Maybe where Peter and James, I mean, sorry, Peter and John in this story. Maybe where people who live our lives by the terms and conditions of the Bible or the commandments of the Bible, Maybe we're motivated by love. Maybe we're motivated by a desire to, pe- to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Maybe you're in that spot this morning. I think I want to leave you this morning questioning and dwelling and diving into the internal things that make your external possible. You see, because what, what we internally dwell on and, 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 you know, what we internally think about is often what is externally produced. You know, you think about, think about a factory. Think about, I don't know, 4 and 20 factory. I love a good 4 and 20 pie. They're quite nice. Think about their factory for a second. You know, they would probably, my guess is that they definitely don't butcher the cows, so they probably get the meat brought in. And my guess is that they... They probably have a different factory where they make the pastry casings so that they can be shipped to the, the factory where the pie is actually made. But in that factory, you would have all these different parts, all these different little things that eventually would produce a finished product, which would be a four pack of 20, four and 20 pies, which will end up in my oven and then in my belly. With sauce. With sauce. Has to have tomato sauce. But, you know, there are all these little parts all these little things, the meat, the gravy, the pie casing on the bottom, the top, all these little things add up and internally they are there. Internally they are separate, but externally they create a beautiful pie which is scrumptious to eat. What are, what are the little things that internally you, you have, that internally you feed, that internally maybe you get shipped into you from somewhere, you know? What are the things 
They go on in your head. They go on in your heart. They go on in your mind. What are your thoughts? That potentially create a pie that isn't great, like a 7-Eleven pie. <laughs> Their pies aren't that great at all. They're not very nice. They're cheap, but they're not nice. Jokes aside, what, what, are, what are you allowing to come in, which is then producing in your life? What are the, the rules that you're living your life by? What are the standards that you're living your life by that are then producing results in your life? You see, because I, I want to produce results like Peter and John. I don't want to produce results where if someone asks me a question, do you want to be made well? And my answer, oh, there goes that picture. And my answer is, well, I can't be made well because every time I try to go down to the water, someone's already in it before I am. That's not condemning that point, but that is saying that there, there's more for you. You were made for more than this. You were made for more than being stuck in a debilitating cycle that doesn't go anywhere. You know, I, I, I posed a question a couple of weeks back in my, in my sermon as I was wrapping up. I shared a story about how the Lord confronted me in a moment because I was believing something and, and He asked me a question like, is my victory not enough? Is His victory not enough? Because we, we know what the answer is to that question. Yeah, His victory is enough. He, he paid for it all on the cross paid for every last thought, every last breath. He paid for it on the cross. His victory is enough. So what, what areas, what things in our life, what terms and conditions aren't God, aren't kingdom? Because His victory is more than enough for you. I have a story that, it, it's actually, the story's not over yet. That's really relevant with this. I have really bad ankles and really bad left knee, like really bad right ankle and really bad left knee. And uh, I've received prayer for my, for healing for my ankle and for my knee more than like more times than I can count. I am a faithful God, like, yeah, like I'm a faithful son in saying like, God, I know you can heal me. God, like I'm going to put my hand up if someone calls that out. God, I'm going to go up and get prayer. Like if, if we're going after healing, like I'm standing up because I need healing. My body isn't perfect. And I come back time and time again and to no avail, to no avail. And so I stand here and like I've got a bung knee and I've got a bung ankle and they're not good. And they, they hurt sometimes and they don't function the way they should be. And I roll my ankle just by walking along this road, like this stretch here. And I, I and I sit in that place, and this has been for years, by the way. This is this is a not thirty eight years, but it's been a five year, six year thing, where I've I've contended for healing, but I haven't experienced healing. And every time, every time it doesn't happen, you, you, you there's a point. There's this intervention spot. There's this spot where where you have two options. God, I, I receive I receive the healing like, and someone's praying for me and it doesn't happen. Test it out. Oh, hang on. No, it's still there. Okay. In that spot, in that moment, I, I, I have a choice. Do I choose to partner with disappointment? Do I choose to partner with the terms and conditions of, of what the world would say? Do I choose to partner with what religion would say and, and try and find an understanding for it myself? 
oh, you know, it's probably because I shouldn't have played sport back when I was younger. That's why I'm injured because I should have spent more time in church instead of playing sport. That's why I'm still injured. You know, maybe God doesn't want to heal me just yet. Like, you know, because I did something wrong. Maybe, or in this moment, do I step towards hope and know, okay, you know, in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not my plans, his plans. He knows his plans for me. I don't know why I turned there, because I just read the verse. But I know their plans I have for you, says the Lord. Their plans to prosper you, they're his plans. Okay, so I'm God, I'm going to believe that in your timing, with your plans, that you are good, that you're never going to fail. I'm going to stand on that hope. Oh my gosh, someone else got healed of their ankle. Like, yes, their ligaments were healed. I know that you do it, God. I'm going to stand on that hope. Oh my gosh, someone's knee just got healed. Yes, God, like I know you can do that. Oh, I'm going to take that for myself. I'm going to stand on that hope. And you you see the story. You see the picture unfold. Who are you in this story? Who are you at this point? Because there are, there are, I guarantee you that every one of you in this room would have points like this. Whether they're physical healing points, whether they're emotional healing points, whether it's doubt, whether it's your thoughts, whether it's fear, whatever it may be, guaranteed you, you're here. You, you will be here. Whether you're here today, you were here yesterday, you were here tomorrow, you will always have a point in your life. You'll have multiple points in your life. And I'll ask a question to you, who are you in this story? Are you going to be the person who accepts and, and possibly for 38 years accepts? Or are you going to be the person who stands steadfast in the truth, stands steadfast in the knowledge of who God is? And believes and hopes and has faith that it was meant to be that you were made for more, that, you, that you're not meant to be the way you are, that, that God paid for it all, that his victory is enough, that restoration is coming, that renewal is coming, that healing, that freedom, it is possible because he, he paid for it all on the cross. Paul, if you, if you want to just come back up. I want to pray for a, a couple of different groups of people this morning and I'm actually going to get us to pray for each other as well I oh just just another little thing that I'm going to just chuck in there another little freebie I I think that I was once again Nathan was sitting in the car and he I was (laughs) so simple I was putting on a seatbelt so simple I was buckling up a seatbelt and I, I just was sitting there and I was just talking to God. I was like, God, what do you have to say to me right now? And he said this. He said, Nathan, you see that seatbelt that you just buckled up? You, you could think in two different ways about this seatbelt. You see, mindsets are quite like 
that as well, because there's always two sides. There's, there's two sides to this story. You can go two ways. And he said to me, Nathan, people can view seatbelts as something that are there for safety. They're there to protect you. They're there for assurance to know that it's going to keep you in your car. However, some people also view seatbelts as restrictions. They view it as something that holds them back. It's something that's uncomfortable. It scratches on your neck. You know, there, there are always two sides. What lens do I view a seatbelt through? Well, I view it through safety. But what lens do I view my life through? Do I, do I view it through the God-filtered side? Or do I filter and view it through the world side? What lens do you filter your life through? Do you filter it through the God side? Do you, do you filter it through the lens of hope? Or do you filter it through what, what culture says? Do you filter it through what the, the terms and conditions of our time say? If you want to stand, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for you all. And then we're actually going to spend some time praying for each other. And I'm actually going to pray a scripture over you. Um, this is probably one of my... This is one of my favorite scriptures to pray. It's in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, I think it's 29. Yeah, verse 29. This is a prayer for boldness. It's a prayer for courage. It's a prayer for faith. But what, I, what I'm believing is that as I pray this over you, as, as you hear this, as you receive this, I, I believe that this is actually going to be a moment just like the lame man at the gate beautiful had. A moment where Peter says to him, hey, look at us. A moment of intervention. I believe this is going to be a moment like the paralytic man had, where Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? I believe that as I read this over you, that this is going to be the Lord saying to you, hey, hey, I see you, I know you, and this is a moment of intervention. So if you want to just actually stick your hands out, because I really believe that the Lord is actually going to, um, he's, he, he's about to impart to you, He's about to intervene in your life, just like He did for these two men. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through your holy servant, Jesus. I'm going to pray that again. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. And by the stretching out of your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may, may be done through the name of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may follow and they may be done through the name of Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that right now in this moment, Lord, that it would be your boldness. Lord, that it would be your courage. God, that it would be your faith, your hope, your love, your mercy, your grace that would right now just come and rest upon us in this moment.
And Lord, that by the stretching out of your hand, you would heal. Lord, that by the stretching out of your hand, people would be set free. God, by the stretching out of your hand, we would see signs and wonders. All for the glory of your name, Jesus. All for the glory of your name. God, that it would be your strength, your boldness, your courage, your faith, your hope, your love, your mercy, your grace. God, it's you. Would you intervene in our lives, Lord? God, we want you. Lord, we don't want a cycle. We don't want a process. We don't want a system. We don't want a 10-step plan to get us free. God, we want you. That is our reply. That is a posture of our hearts. It's you. It's you, it's you, it's you. By the stretching of your hand, may we experience freedom, healing, grace, love, wholeness. By the stretching of your hand, Lord, let it be so. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.